New Testament lesson this morning is from John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. It's the story about Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. We're going to do it a little differently this morning because it is so lengthy. We're going to do what's called a reader's theater, and John and Sharon Miller have agreed to assist with that. I would invite you to turn your pew Bibles so that you can keep up with the passage. It's a dialogue conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and it really is a powerful passage. Listen now for the word of God. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noontime. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Give me a drink. Jesus' disciples had gone to the city in order to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have no bucket, and the well, well, the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and who his son and his flocks, they drank from it? Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a living spring of water, gushing up eternal life. Sir, give me this water, that I may never be thirsty, or have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband, and come back. I have no husband. You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I see. You are a father. <laughs> Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I know the Messiah is coming, for he is called Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, Jesus' disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, Come and see. Come and see this man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. But meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples said to one another, Surely no one else has brought him something to eat. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months from now the harvest will be ready? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. But here the saying holds true, one sows and one reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor, Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. And thanks to Sharon and John for assisting in reading this scripture passage for us this day. I think in this passage of scripture, there are at least five or more sermons that you could find, and not because of the length of the verses in it, but because of the different tacks that Jesus takes and the different encounters he has and the different experiences that occur therein. We're not going to have five plus sermons this morning, so fear not about that piece. But the passage is also full of all kind of socially inappropriate behavior that Jesus performed as it was determined in that day and time. For example, Jews traveling through Samaria just didn't do it. It was a no-no because Jews and Samaritans could not stand each other. In fact, verse 9 says, Samaritans and Jews do not share things in common. So the fact that Jesus would go through this territory was something that was just not acceptable whatsoever. The fact that there was a woman and a man in public standing alone who were not husband and wife and talking with each other was also against socially acceptable norms in that day and time. And finally, for a Jew to ask a Samaritan for a drink of water 
was unthinkable, was something you would never, ever do. But yet, in spite of these socially unacceptable practices that Jesus violated one right after the other, he has a very clear message to the woman of Samaria, and I also think he has a very clear message to us. Watch which wells you drink from. Watch which wells you drink from. Jesus was tired. He was worn out from his journey. It was about noontime, and so he stopped at this well in order to get some refreshment. This woman from Samaria approached the well. It was rather unusual in the middle of the day for people to be around one of the wells in, in, in Jerusalem and Samaria because people usually came to the wells early in the morning or they came late in the afternoon, and it was all about the fact that they were getting ready for mealtime. It's also they usually came in groups. And so for this woman to come by herself was also indicative of something was unusual about her. We have no name for her. Her name is not identified at all. We're told she had five husbands. We're told that she currently lives with a man who was not her husband. And all of the signs of these indications indicate that possibly this is a lot of promiscuity going on. That this is a lady of the night. This is someone who visits the red light district in Sikar. But yet scripture doesn't tell us any of that. Scripture says nothing about what she did or what she was about or what she was like. She could have outlived some of those husbands. And in that day and time, a husband could divorce a wife for no reason except I'm tired of you, be gone. And she also could have had enough of men after five men who wouldn't and said, to heck with this, I'm just going to live with someone and forget this stuff about marriage. But everything I've just said is speculative, is conjecture. We don't know exactly anything about her. But what we do know about her is that she has a history. She has a past. She has things that have happened in her life that no one knows about. She has things that she has never revealed to anybody else in all of her life. She has things that she's probably not very proud of. And when you stop and think about it, all of us have a history. All of us have a past. All of us have things that we would rather not tell other people about. All of us have things of which we have been embarrassed and that we just soon keep to ourselves. All of us have experiences in which we were not seen in our best light. And for some reason, we seem to need to deny that past. We avoid those difficult moments. We keep those deep, dark secrets deeply within us, and we don't want anybody to know us. We don't want anybody to find us out. We don't want anyone to know these deep, dark secrets because they may end up not liking us. They may end up ostracizing us. They may end up ignoring us. They may end up completely avoiding us. And our fragile ego, egos are just not up for that kind of response. But then Jesus shows up. Jesus was asking just for a drink of water. 
But if you look deeper in this passage, Jesus was asking for more than a drink of water. He wanted her to share a drink of water with him, but he also wanted her to share her life with him. He was inviting her to share with him something about who she was, to have a relationship and an encounter with her. He was open to seeing something more about who she was. And then he revealed to her her past and her history. He gave her her own biography. And when he did that, he didn't judge her. He didn't scold her. He didn't condone her actions. He didn't admonish her. He just stated the facts. And suddenly, all of those facades she had created, all of those defenses she had built around her, all of those rationalizations she had made were suddenly gone. For she needed no longer to defend herself. She was now the real person. She was the person who was authentic. She was the person who finally was known by the creator of the world. And Jesus does that to and for every one of us. He knows us. He knows our warts. He knows our scars. He knows our prejudices. He knows our shortcomings. And he still accepts us. He still takes us just like we are. He still loves us. He still wants to be in relationship with each and every one of us. And I cannot explain that. And I don't think any of us can. That Jesus Christ loves us regardless of who we are or what we've done. But you know that kind of feeling. Something happened to you or you did something for which you're not very proud. And you discover that you're just going to keep that to yourself. You didn't even tell your spouse, didn't even reveal it to your children. It was just one of those secrets you were going to carry with you and be the burden for your life. And then life happens and somebody slipped up and word got out and family members or dear friends knew what had happened. And in a loving kind of way, they confronted you and you were scared to death because, oh, no. But you were overwhelmed with a bond of love in which they accepted you regardless of what happened and welcomed you and held you and loved you in spite of yourselves. And the burden that you carried was lifted. The world on your shoulders was rolled up and gone. You had a difficult but giddy kind of feeling that finally you were out. And it was done. And you were finally free. And you're deeply grateful for that kind of love that friends and family exude for you. Taking you, accepting you, and probably even saying, that really wasn't anything. You're perfectly fine. And yet you had carried and harbored this feeling for such a long time. But you're loved even in the darkest moments of your life. And that's what Jesus does. That's what he came to this world to be about. He did it for that woman at the well. He does it for each and every one of us. And we finally realize that nothing, 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even our worst moments. Not even the worst things we could think or do. Nothing separates us from that love. And we finally are free to live the life God intended for us to live. Now that's grace. And I can't explain it. And I don't understand it. But it's a gift. A gift that we just simply accept because God loves us so much. But my confusion comes of why we don't let that sink in. Why doesn't that make a difference in our lives? Why is it that we believe that with our head, but somehow it doesn't get to our heart? Why is it that we don't live that kind of forgiven, graceful life? I think our story gives us some more clues about that. We're drinking from the wrong wells. The wells that just make us stay thirsty. The wells that cause us to want to drink more thinking we'll finally get satisfied. The wells that are just not at all fulfilling to us. It's kind of like in the summertime when you're parched and thirsty and you take a diet soda and drink it and all you want to do is drink more because that sugar aftertaste just causes you to want more and more and you're never satisfied and never fulfilled. It's curious to me that the woman at the well continued to go to the well of husbands thinking that maybe there'll be one that will work out. Maybe if I fix my hair differently or if I look differently, someone will notice me. Maybe Mr. Wonderful will show up on my doorstep. Or maybe my knight in shining armor will whisk me away and we'll live happily ever after. And nothing happened to help her. Others of us live from the wells of socially upward mobility sacrificing time and effort and energy, saving every penny we can save until we get that right house in the right neighborhood with the right neighbors because they're going to help us network to make our life full and complete and it's just never enough. We never seem to reach that nirvana. Others of us drink from the wells of our careers thinking that a 50-hour work week is just not enough. And so we bring work home at night. We bring work home on weekends. We're always busy doing things. In fact, the family's got a big event coming up, but I can't make it because i got this important meeting that I've got to go to. And we find ourselves just grinding away, putting in hours, and not having much meaning. Still others of us Drink from the wells of addiction. It's a stressful life. We lead a difficult moment. But yet, in the afternoon, one or two drinks is fine. It relaxes us. We feel good. And three, four, and five are even better. Because we think that we're in full control. We have full control over our family and over our alcohol. And it all is working until it begins not to work. And that well is not satisfying at all. And unfortunately, some of us drink from the well of infidelity. The marriage is just not going well. We need something more. 
We'll be discreet. We'll be very discreet about things. We won't let things cause any trouble at home. And yet we begin to find that there is not much meaning or purpose in this second relationship. And the first one has gone sour, unfortunately. And finally, I think some of us drink from the well of tradition. The way we've always done things is the way we're always going to do things. Over and over, year after year, getting the same rut, can't get out of the rut, and there we are. And we particularly do it in our church life. We get in the same way of doing things and never can change. The seven deadly words of the church is we never did it that way before. And we wonder why our faith is no more alive and alert and energizing because we're drinking from a well that doesn't have much to it. Jesus provided for the woman at the well living water, eternal water, satisfying water, fulfillment water. So that thirst was no longer her problem. So she didn't just keep running in all kinds of directions to find meaning and purpose to life. She's free from those wells that are not satisfying. From those wells that don't give you any kind of purpose. And Jesus, I think, provides the same thing for you and me. He gives us living waters. He gives us purpose to life. He gives us the reason why we're here. And we need no other wells. We need not turn any other place. We are fully hydrated with Jesus Christ. For what else would we need? For it's my belief that Jesus has the best of all hopes and desires and intentions for every one of us. He literally has our backs and wants us to become the children of God that we were intended to become. I started this morning by saying there was at least five sermons in this passage of Scripture. And right at the end of the passage is another surprise and a sermon as well, I think. The Samaritan woman became so incredibly excited that she became an unbelievable witness for Jesus Christ. She ran back to the city and said to the people there, come and see what has happened. Come and see what this man has done for me. Come and see what life can really be about. And the passage also says that many Samaritans from the city believed in Jesus and asked him to stay two more days, which he did. It's unbelievable what happens when we start drinking the living water of how we can live and live life to the fullest. She became an evangelist. We too can become an evangelist when we're so filled with this good water that we have nothing else to do except share that good news. When we drink from the living water of Christ, we become excited about sharing the good news that has come to us, and we want to share it each with other people. And a byproduct in this case was there was some racial reconciliation that began to take hold there in that place between Jesus, a Jew, and Samaritans, unheard of, unheard of that these two groups that fought with each other would possibly come together and for two days. It's breathtaking to see what can happen when we drink from the living water. 
and it can happen for each and every one of us. I usually don't say this, but I encourage you to get drunk off of the living waters of Jesus because in drinking those waters, you will see life in ways you never have seen it before and live life in ways you never thought possible before. Let us pray. Eternal God, it's incredible that you provide for us all we ever need, including living waters. Praise and honor and glory to you for this gift that is ours. Help us to be open to receiving those living waters and through them to live life in a whole new way. Honor and glory and praise to you this day, O God. Through Christ the living water we pray. Amen.